All right. Will the Lord be with you? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. I'm grateful to be back here with my church family. And I pray that you would send your spirit as we open up your word, that you may be glorified and we may grow in our own personal and intimate relationship with you because you are working through your word, which is living and active. Pray that we would find ourselves in these gospel stories we would receive your touch. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. All right. Well, hopefully we'll get the uh, online folks coming up. There's, um, we, I know we sent out a link, but I don't see one here. Well, we finished up the Sermon on the Mount in, right before Christmas. Sort of hurriedly, what do you remember about the Sermon on the Mount? Hmm. Jesus, I remember that Jesus taught it. Um, what else? The Sermon on the Mount is a description of what sort of life? The repentant life. Gold star for Connie Cretlow. Um, and uh, the repentant life. And repentance starts with poverty of spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And, um, and that, is, that is to say that we are... Uh, not depending on ourselves uh, to curry favor with God for our good behavior, but because God has given us His favor, we are coming to Him for His grace and accepting His love for us. And then we are acting out of gratitude and out of that, that endless well of His love, and our lives will look a lot the same as if we tried to live the life of the law, but we would do it not for ourselves, but for Him and His glory. So, Jesus finishes the this, this Sermon on the Mount, which we call the greatest sermon ever, was, was the title of that section. Um, and I would say that it is the greatest sermon ever. It doesn't follow, like he doesn't use like illustrations and he doesn't wrap it up at the end with the thing he talks about at the beginning, which is what I was taught to do. But it is uh, the great, it's one of the greatest ethical treatises that, we, that there is, and it is a, um, it, it drives us to our knees, because if we were to try to follow the Sermon on the Mount, we would certainly soon see that we cannot do it apart from His grace. So it has us calling out for a need for a Savior, and yet it also describes the life we are to live in His grace. So we begin then with the very end of that, very end of chapter 7, it says that when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at His teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What does that mean? That he was teaching them with authority. What's that mean? When you read that, what do you hear? What what is he's speaking God's word? But I'm hopefully speaking God's word too. Are, are, are we on equal footing? Pardon me. No, the answer is no. We're not. But thank you. That's very. You're very kind. Uh, yes, Wayne. What was that? He was in the first person. He was in the first person. If you look in the word authority, what's it? What's the first word? Author. He's speaking as the author, not as an expositor. Uh, of Scripture. You know, when he says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have heard it said, but I say to you, he's speaking as one who has authority. He's speaking as one who is 
um, the primary authority of the Word of God and is applying the Word of God rightly. He's not using the Word of God as a weapon of judgment to be used against someone or to keep someone in line. We certainly can use Scripture that way, and it has been used that way. But coming off the Sermon on the Mount, we see that, that He's using the Sermon on the Mount as a plank detector. What do I mean by that? The plank in the eye, right? Why do you worry about the speck in your brother's eye when you have a plank in your own eye? The Word of God is a plank detector. We look over our own planks all the time. It is a plank detector so that it calls us to repentance so that we may truly follow God. So, if the Word of God is rightly used in this way, uh, then yes, it's going to shape our faculties of discernment for others. We'll see the behavior of others and we think, oh, that's not good, right? Maybe, maybe, or that is good. But we don't use it to judge them in an eternal sense. Uh, we use the Word of God to find as a mirror. Like when you look in the mirror and you say, oh man, uh, it, for those of you who have hair, my hair's out of place and I need to fix it, right? And so, um, and, and so we use, uh, we see in the Word of God, like a mirror, what needs to be fixed. So Jesus is teaching as um, a teacher, I mean, and not just as, as a teacher, but as the author of Scripture. But He's also speaking as the fulfillment of the law. Right, remember over in five, chapter 5, verse 17, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I've not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. He's come uh, as the final completion, the final illustration of what it looks like. The law represents and, and describes to us the character of God. He is the fulfillment of that, the incarnation of the nature of God. Uh, with, um, and so... He is the very nature of God expressed to us in human form. He's the fulfillment of the law. So that's why He is the authority. Anything else to add to that about authority? What does Jesus' authority look like in your own life? Do you think of Jesus as an authority? Or do you think of Him as a friend, as, I mean, he certainly is a friend. Do you think of him as a savior? He certainly is a savior. Does authority bring up a good image or a negative image for you? I think of authority as the police. The police. Or yeah. parents. Maintaining rule and order in the household. Yes, the one who maintains rule and order. That's, yes. Like a parent to a child. Like a parent to a child. So that's a good illustration of that because there, is rule, there has to be rule and order, but it has to also be done with love, right? And so, uh, so he is that sort of authority, but he's not the policeman in the sky. I mean, I think a lot of people are afraid of Jesus in that way. Nor is he the sort of fair, sky fairy or the you know, great vending machine in the sky who just gives us the things that we want. You know, he is, he is Lord and he is Savior. He is authority because he is the, his, his word that matters. We should look to obey his word. Why? Not so that He will love us, but because He loves us. Right? And because it's best for us. We have that. What would Jesus do? I mean, I have that in my mind. Yes. Why? You know, because 
you'd want to do what he would do. So he he's an authority. It's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's a um, guide. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It is not a bad thing. It's ultimately is the ultimate good, isn't it? Now we what would Jesus do is is such a wonderful thing for us to ascribe to and follow as long as we understand that we are doing that because of the grace that we have already received, not so that we receive uh, his love. Right. So um, so now as we transition out of the Sermon on the Mount. The next section is called Authority in Action, because now we're seeing the one who's speaking as, and teaching as one who has authority, we're seeing his authority over all sorts of things. His authority over the demonic, his authority over sickness and illness, his authority over ethnic boundaries. Miracle after miracle, we will see um, through chapters 8 and 9. We'll take about four, I think four weeks, maybe five, I think it's four weeks and we'll meet next week, but not the week after that, because that's the parish meeting. But I think so. It's five weeks from now. We'll finish, but it's four four teachings. We we'll split eight and chapter eight into two parts, and chapter nine into two parts. So eight and nine demonstrate uh, Jesus' divine authority, not just as a teacher, but as uh, supreme, as divine. Um, that truly the kingdom of God is at hand. Remember, he, that's how he begins his ministry: repent for the kingdom of God. He's a hand. Well, we are seeing that uh, through his ministry, miracle after miracle, not just a display of power, but glimpses, and this is what I want you to really hear, glimpses of the restoration of fallen creation to its rightful state. And that truly, and I didn't, I mean, I talk about miracles in the sermon today, I don't really talk about it from that standpoint, but that is what a miracle is. It is a glimpse of, a rest, of restoration, an earthly glimpse of restoration to a heavenly state that we were created for. And that's what we see throughout Jesus' life in miracle after miracle. So, authority in action. And today we have what I've called, uh, with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek, the healing of social distancing. So, let's read, beginning with chapter 8. When he came down from the mountain, this is the mountain he was teaching on, the, mount, the, ser- the Sermon on the Mount, it was that mountain, great crowds followed him because they, of course, had seen his authority. Behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. Interesting that great crowds follow him, but he tells this leper, Don't tell anybody. I just it makes I wonder how how that's possible. So I don't know if you've seen The Chosen. If you haven't seen The Chosen, run, don't walk. Um, it, it, is, it is wonderful. You, can just, you get an app and you can just watch it on your computer or your, or your TV if you can uh, throw it up on your TV. But um, it's called The Chosen. And it, in a lot, you know how a lot of Christian media is really cheesy? It's fantastic. It's so well done. And they're working on raising money for season three. And so I encourage you. But... 
Um, it, this, is, this is displayed very well, captured very well, because when a leper came before him, it would have been terrifying. We sort of read over it and we think, oh, a leper came before him, he reached out his hand. It would have been terrifying because they didn't know how to handle leprosy. Now, leprosy is a singular term used to describe all sorts of skin conditions. Some of them cleared up and some of them didn't. And the way that you were diagnosed, if you thought you had some sort of leprosy, then you had to go to the priest. And the priest would take a look at it and he would declare, yes, this is leprosy and you are therefore unclean. Or he would declare not. And then if you were declared leprosy, then you had to go live outside the city until it cleared up. And I just wanted to say how grateful I am that this is no longer part of the job description uh, <laughs> of a priest. We do some dirty things, but this is not that. So that's good. Um, the, the only solution that they had, they didn't have a medical solution for leprosy. The only solution they had was social distancing. And it really wasn't just social, like keep six feet apart. It was, it was isolation. Stay as far apart as possible. Why? Because it would, so it wouldn't spread to other people. Now, unlike COVID in our day, there was a religious stigma attached to leprosy. And that was um, not, just, not just leprosy, but, but basically anything. The bad things happen to bad people. What do we need to do? I just sent out a temporary link. I re- we set it up. Sent out a temporary link if they'll check their... Well, we'll see if E-news. anybody gets on. If they'll check, they need to go to their e-news there to get the temporary link to get in. Okay. Well, we'll see. Did we just run out of time? That we I, I didn't. I didn't research it. That I just wanted to get it re- reestablished. We'll see if anybody joins us. Okay. If you're listening online, thank you very much. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Elaine, will you fix this for me? Thank you. All right. It's, it says it's already in progress, so I can't, jo- I can't start it. I have to join it. So just if you, you can just take the computer and fix it. That's okay. great. Okay. That's it. You can just move it over there. That'd be awesome. Yeah, just. Great. Thanks. I want them to look at me. And if you're there, they'll look at you because you're... (laughs) So, if you're having trouble sleeping, you can go and read Leviticus chapter 13 and 14. And it tells all about what the priest was to do in order to uh, diagnose what, is, uh, what happens when you have mold growing in your house. Is that, like, that was kind of treated like leprosy too. What, what to do, all sorts of uh, things. It is, it's kind of gross, and it's the Word of God, so you need to read it. Um, and, uh, but the, the solution, like I said, was for them to, to remain far away. And you just, uh, and what I was saying is that there's this religious stigma that, that if you have leprosy, it's because God has inflicted it upon you because you must have done something terrible. Um, we see this sort of mentality 
several, in several instances throughout the Bible, uh, particularly, most notably, when uh, Jesus is talking about the Tower of Siloam that fell on the people. And that's where he said, do you think they've sinned worse than you? If you don't likewise repent, uh, then uh, if you don't repent, then you all likewise perish. Meaning, meaning uh, you think that, that ha- they must have deserved it because bad things happen to bad people. That's this sort of religious um, mentality that they had, that it was God's judgment. And so this leper comes in front of Jesus. It, it was an incredible breach of etiquette, of, uh, it would have, uh, of social norms and what was ex- accepted. It would have been terrifying. Because not only standing in front of them was someone who was sick, but someone who was probably bad, you know, evil in some way, under God's judgment. And, and Jesus' response to him is so tender, and it's so, it's, it's so brief in Matthew. But if you think there had to be a, uh, a distance between this man, and uh, I assume it was a man, does it say? Yeah, touched him. Yeah, it was a man. And, um, and there's a distance between the two of them. Because there had to be. I don't remember if it was like 10 feet or something like that, but he couldn't, the leper couldn't get close. Now, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Which means Jesus was also defying all religious uh, convention, all uh, medical convention, because you didn't touch somebody like that because you're going to get sick. One of my least favorite things about COVID, particularly at the beginning, when everybody was staying away from everybody else because they were treat, we were just had we felt like we had to treat each other like germs just to be avoided. Didn't like that. I didn't like that feeling. I didn't like feeling like treating someone like that or being treated like that. I didn't. It's a yucky feeling. And maybe for years. And so, we got it? All right. Yay, Elaine. <laughs> Elaine is the... She's okay. the bomb. She's the bomb. All right. Welcome, friends. All right. We have Frank and Katie. Um, so we are, uh, for you guys coming in, we're talking about the... Um, we're talking about the Jesus cleansing the leper. And so... Jesus shows that he has authority over this disease. And that might not be so surprising to us because he's all, we've already seen this right before the Sermon on the Mount. So they healed people of every disease. They were bringing people to him, um, people to, to him who had every affliction, every affliction, and he was healing their diseases. But he's also healing judgment. And he's crossing the span. He couldn't have just reached out his arm like go go gadget arm like he had to like he had to move towards him and this would have been very unsettling i think to anybody who was there even if it was just his disciples and yet Jesus touches him who knows when the last time this man was touched or hugged had a handshake and and Jesus touches him in a way that is so Again, tender, he says, I will. Like, in other words, it is my will. Lord, if it is your will, you can make me clean. Not just heal me, but 
but um, acceptable. You can make me acceptable. And he says, it is my will. And you are acceptable. Clean in the sense of not just my skin is cleared up, but my, I am religiously and culturally unclean. I mean, I am clean now and not just unclean. Not isolated. It's interesting that Jesus um, says, then don't say anything to anybody. We call this sometimes the messianic secret. Why wouldn't you want? You can imagine Peter just going, man, we're going to make a ton of money off of this. You know, like I just, um, I just think this would be great. We're going to charge for it. It'll go to good causes. Um, and uh, like my wallet. But it's, um, it is, uh, Jesus doesn't have any of that. You don't need to tell, any, tell anybody. And of course, I sometimes think that Jesus says, don't tell anybody, because when somebody tells you a secret, what do you want to go do? <laughs> tell somebody, right? So uh, Jesus says, don't tell anybody. And, um, and of course, he must have told somebody, because we know, uh, reading about it 2,000 years later. But he says, go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. In other words, follow the letter of the law. Why would Jesus say this? Because He is the fulfillment of the law. He didn't come to abolish the law. He's come to fulfill it. And so, uh, this is God's command. This is God's word. And, um, and Jesus is following it. He's staying within the boundaries. He's not saying He's outside of it. He's the fulfillment of it. Does that make sense? So, wh- what do you see in this story? Am I, am I missing anything? What, do you have, or does it bring up any questions for you that I hadn't touched on? Yes, Emily. Why the priest? Why the priest? Because that was what was required in Leviticus. So the priest had to diagnose, but the priest was the only one who could say, uh, I see that the leprosy is gone, you're admitted back into the city. Yeah, that was the priest's job. Now how many priests got leprosy because of that, I don't know. Truly, I, I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, you know, if they didn't, maybe people thought, maybe that means it wasn't contagious, but people thought, well, they're priests, so they're not, you know, they, they're obviously really wonderful people, so God won't let them do that. Um, I, I don't know. But that's why, why I go to the priest, because so he could be admitted culturally back in, not just on the word of some itinerant preacher. What else? It's a good question. All right, well, let's move to the next healing of social distancing that we get. When Jesus has entered Capernaum, now, so the Mount of Beatitudes is not very far from Capernaum. You could, you could walk there. Jesus did it. was probably the same day. It's, um, it's not a very, they're not very far from one another. They're right up on the uh, north, northwest uh, corner of the Sea of Galilee. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion, that's a Roman uh, captain, who's over a hundred guards, hundred Roman soldiers, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And Jesus says to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too 
This is what's so remarkable about this centurion. I too am a man under what? Authority. With soldiers under me, and I will say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes, and, uh, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. So I tell you, many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abram, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to this centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So the centurion is actually distant for a different reason. What is, what is that? Why, why, were the, why, was it, why would the centurion be different and, and distant? Because he's a Roman. He's a Gentile. That's right. They could not, they, they had necessarily, they had to interact with one another, but they could not enter each other's homes. Romans weren't allowed into the synagogue uh, and so forth. Um, and so uh, Jews couldn't interact like this. Jesus says, yeah, I'll come. I'll come to your house. And he says, I'm not worthy to have you. Uh, and, and what does he mean by that? Why would he not be worthy? Jesus is deity, so I mean, almost anybody could say that, but um, <clears throat> on the second part is, you know, he knows that he has authority. You don't need to be there. Yeah, he, it seems that he's recognizing more than just, you know, a great teacher or some sort of weird shaman healer, like that he is, that he is actually divine. So we might say to Jesus, because we recognize I'm not worthy, although we know that we're worthy in, in Him. He knew He was a sinner. He knew He was a sinner, at, least, at the very least an outsider to the religious establishment. That it was actually probably a challenge to Jesus and to Jesus' ministry for Him to come into His home. Because it would have, it would have actually made Jesus unclean in that sense. But, but he was willing to do it. But he was willing to cross that boundary. So again, so he reaches out, he crosses the span, this sort of bound social barrier, just like he did with the leper. We are not told, and I wish we were, but we're not told why the centurion sought out Jesus, why he believed. But he recognizes authority because he understands authority. And so the, the crowds around the block over at the Mount of Beatitudes said, had heard him teach and saw that he was teaching as one who had authority, but here he just walks into town and, and, and something about this Jesus, this, the, the man who understands authority, uh, recognizing, he says, I know what authority is, and so I know that if you just say it, it will happen. That is, that's pretty weird. That's pretty bizarre. Um, and and so we're seeing again that he has authority not just over disease, but over ethnic boundaries. Do you remember the Abrahamic covenant? Abram is called by God 
to leave Ur of the Chaldeans. Remember, this is like the very, it's like chapter 12 of Genesis, of the whole Bible. And he says, look up into the skies, and your, your descendants, Abraham, Abram has no children. Your descendants will outnumber the stars of the sky, and through your line, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And then the scope narrows because we, we just follow Abram's family. And people, Abram's family, is this, the, the Jews, the Hebrew people, they, they, um, they tend, some of them tend to believe that God just favors us. He's the one true God, but we're His one true people. And there's some real truth that we're, they're His people. But the whole point was always that, that all, by, through His line, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And we're beginning to see that here. Beginning to see that, that, that the, there's a crack in the door. It will, of course, open up with the cross and the resurrection. But He's Lord over um, ethnic boundaries. All nations be blessed. This would have been incredibly controversial in Jesus' day. But again, He reaches out. He's willing to come. And He says, just as the centurion said He would, He says, let it be done for you as you have believed and it's done. Now, here's what is so... One, here's one of the things that's so striking about this particular passage, and that is that He says... Jesus' reaction is not just marveling at the, at the centurion, uh, at, at the level of his faith, but the source of his faith. And he says that, I tell you, that many will come from the east, meaning like Assyria, Babylon, Iran, Iraq today, and from the west, Greece and Libya and Egypt. And they will recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. While the sons of the kingdom, that's the Jews, will not. What is Jesus talking about? Why would Jesus say that? About the people of God. Belief is the issue, isn't it? Belief in what? He was crucified by the Jews, yes, and the and the Romans, yes, yes, Jane. The Lord knows when we pray, we're praying in faith. He recognizes faith whether you're a Jew or a Gentile. Yes, he recognizes faith, Jew or Gentile. And what what Jesus is saying is that faith is is the way in. We're saved by grace through faith. Now that theology hadn't been uh, elucidated yet. But Jesus is forecasting it. That it's not your ethnicity. It's not your... uh, It's not how good you are according to the law. It makes me think of... uh, You know, I was gone last week for this funeral. It was amazing. This 24-year-old kid died of a, a... a drug overdose. His father's a really good friend of mine. And um, and he wanted me to come do the funeral. And they were Justin, the kid who died, lived in Fort Mill where he where they grew up, but my my friend Joel and his family moved down 
uh, I don't know, about four years ago, I think. But Justin stayed up there, and he struggled. But he knew the Lord. He really knew the Lord. And there was probably 300 people at this funeral. And, um, and people came up to Joel afterwards, my friend. And one of them said to him, um, I mean, they would say things like, like, but one stands out particularly. He said, I'm realizing that being good is not good enough. Like in the midst of this tragedy, this guy realized that just being a good guy isn't good enough for God. He needs a Savior. Like, that's pretty amazing. It's pretty wonderful. Being good isn't good enough. Like being, um, uh, uh, doing the things, it's good to be good. We want, we want you to do the things that God wants you to do. But that's not what gets us in, right? What gets us in is faith in Christ. And this centurion says, I know, I believe that if you say it, it's going to happen. So belief isn't just mental assent here. It's, it's trust. I'm, I'm entrusting the life of my servant to your very word. If you, if you say it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And what happens? Jesus says it, and it happens at that very moment. Matthew tells us. I find that a lot of people, when they say, I believe in God, I really believe in, in God, I believe in Jesus, what they often mean is mentally, I, I'm, I'm there intellectually. But in terms of where my, how dedicated my life is, how much I'm actually given to faith, given to faith not so much. And again, we want to see this as a plank detector, not as a, as a speck detector, right? So, so I have to say, well, what about me? And I can certainly see that I am often uh, bound to think of my faith intellectually rather than practically in giving faith to Christ. That will be done. So I don't know about you and how that resonates with you, but that, that is uh, that's what that makes me think of. Belief is um, I often will say belief is um, not just mental ascent, but it is like a rock climber believes in the rope he's hanging from. Like, I believe in this thing. My whole, I'm a thousand feet up and my life is dependent upon it. That's faith. That's what belief is in Christ. Well, it's also trust. Okay. Faith, but do you trust Him? You trust Him. Oh my gosh. That's, boy, that's easy to say, isn't it? It's hard to do. It tests you. <laughs> yeah, we don't like that. I don't. That's where... That's, it does. And it's painful, isn't it? And that's where, um, that's where faith is really forged. It's hard. You know, I think about like... And maybe some of y'all can relate, but thinking about my friend, like his faith is being tested right now. He believes and he wants to see God doing great work, but his son just died, and it's just it's just hard. And I know some of y'all know that. And so, it's in the difficulty that we have to see: are we willing to not just believe it with our head, but trust it with our hearts? It's very hard. Now, it's not supposed to be easy. The difficulty means you're in it; doesn't mean you're not good at it. Well, I should probably keep going. So verse 14, When Jesus entered Peter's house, He saw His mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. 
and he touched her hand. Again, Jesus is reaching out. Three instances where he, he's willing to reach out to the one who needs him. He touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. That's such, always, that's such a funny little line. But I think that Peter's mother-in-law has the right response. And when Jesus reached out and touched us and, and healed our soul, healed our spirit, cleansed us from our sin, made us clean, did the right response is to get up and serve. This is that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with just a word, and he healed all who were sick. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. The um, that is Isaiah fifty-three, which is amazing. If you go back, we read it every Good Friday. But if you if if you um, if you go back and look at Isaiah 53, like and think it was written 700 years before Jesus, but it is about the crucifixion. He took our illnesses and he bore our diseases. Um, what do you see? And this is it's almost like a filler paragraph. What do you see in this little paragraph? What strikes you? What builds your faith? Yeah, for those who are listening, Connie said that his, his gentleness is what strikes her. There's, that he's, there's not thunder, it's just... You know, what would have been thunder was the response. My, my leg, it's, you know, it's healed, or my, my leprosy is gone. That would have, that's the joy in, in receiving. That's what it would have been, the commotion. But yeah, and there's no... It just seems normal, right? You just touch it. It's got better, yes? Obviously the word is out also. Word's getting out. He says, don't tell anybody, but people are telling. They're talking. Yeah. Yeah, the crowds are coming. You know, I always wish, again, I, I wish, I long, particularly as a, I mean, I think as a pastor, like I wish that we could just call down the name of Jesus and have miracles like this happen. That we could just cast out spirits with the word and heal all who were sick. I mean, I just wish, I do believe that happens, but I mean, sometimes a little bit, but not much. Yes. The sissy said that, that Jesus' will is to heal. And sometimes he works, most of the time I think he works slowly through natural processes. We should continue to pray for people who aren't getting good like that, but I do think that sometimes he does, and I don't know why. I wish I could harness it, <laughs> but I can't. Yeah. 
Yeah. But again, so much is it's it's the hardship, it's the struggle. That's where we cling to our faith. When we have faith, we don't always need the miracle. I kind I wish it was the other way around. I wish it was because we have faith that we get rewarded with the miracle. The purpose of the miracle is faith. But I love what you say that Jesus is just so gentle here. And that is true. So He is um, authoritative over the spirits, authoritative over the demonic. He's authoritative over ethnic boundaries. He's, this is authority in action. He's the fulfillment of the prophet. Next week, we'll continue to look at authority in action as we finish out chapter 8. Jesus is calming a storm and casting out demons. That's all I got. got any, yeah, Emily, go. Yeah, please. Sorry. <laughs> okay, back to the priest. And I'm going to study this. I want you to know I'm going to study. I was going to figure out how I can study it. But anyway, when I asked you why the priest, because it sounded to me like Jesus did this healing, yet he go, He says, go and have someone check my work. When does he do that? When does he ever have someone, when he says it's done, it's done, why does he have someone to check his work? I'm sorry, but... Um, and so maybe I'm missing something, but that's what the priest does. Apparently, check his work to make sure he did it, you know, he completed the task, right? Well, I don't think it's just prove that Jesus did it, but to prove that the man is, is able to come back into society. Okay, okay. He, without the priest's uh, uh, word or um, approval, he wouldn't have been allowed back in the city. That's, that's why. He had to go through the process. Like, just because I say you're a good driver doesn't mean you don't have to go to the DMV, right? Like, you got to get the right authorities to say that you can do right on the road. That was a word made a whole week. You got to get a negative COVID test to go back to work. So, that's, that's right. That's right. Okay. Priests don't check out COVID tests either. Yes? This is not scripture, but I've heard this many years ago. How do you remove a mountain? And it's one stone at a time. So when you pray, asking and believing, and you don't get the miracle or the immediate, you just continue to stand. And I think we get miracles every single day. Yeah, that's right. We get miracles every day. Because we want to, see, yeah, I mean, we want, and that's, that's, that was kind of the point of the sermon. Maybe we have eyes to see God, God's hand working uh, around us all the time. He has authority. He has the authority. Do we have the faith? That's the question. Yeah. All right, God bless you. Go to church. Friends, uh, Katie, we'll get it squared away for next week. That, we, that won't happen again. Sorry about, thanks for hanging with us. Oh, yeah, well. All right. Take care, my dear.